How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. Welcome to Locked On Bucks presented by BrewHoop.com. Today's Locked On Bucks is brought to you by SeatGeek. Download the mobile app for the easiest way to buy tickets and the promo code L-O-B-U-C-K-S, that's L-O-Bucks, gets you a $20 rebate on your first purchase. On today's Locked On Bucks, it's going to be myself, Eric Name, and Frank Madden. Frank, how are you? I'm doing great. It's Labor Day. I've had a restful Labor Day weekend. How about you, Eric? I know you were covering baseball, so I don't know if that's restful or not. Um, it's relatively restful. I don't boring. Is it boring at this point in the season covering the Brewers? Mm, they're playing good teams. Like they're all divisional teams at this point, so it's good baseball. Or at least half the game is good baseball. <laughs> um, so I'm I'm getting to see good teams. So it's not too boring. So it's been okay. And the only other question I have on that is, I heard that the Bucks or Bucks, the Brewers Cubs uh, game, the first game of the series on Labor Day was a hugely partisan Cubs crowd. Oh my so uh, yes. My question to you having covered partisan crowds in Milwaukee for both Bulls and Cubs games, do you find Cubs fans or Bulls fans more annoying? Ooh. That's a really good one. Um in the past I think I would have said Cubs fans. Um just because they they were really brutal. Like in 08 when the Brewers first started to get good, like there was there's some bad times in Miller Park when that would happen. Um, but now it, I think it might almost be Bulls fans just because the Cubs team is kind of lovable and fun. And it's not really like you're not really butting heads when Cubs fans are at Miller Park because the Cubs are so much better than the Brewers and Brewers fans know it and Cubs fans know it. So everyone's just like, whatever, it's all good. Like we're, we're going to have a good time. But when it, like Bucks Bulls, like Bulls fans think the Bulls are a little bit better than they are, and so do Bucks fans. So it, it can be a little bit more uh, of a testy environment. So I'm gonna go with Bulls. I I was gonna say I think it's weird because I grew up following basketball in the '90s, so I still have this mental view of the Bulls as Jordan's team, and I watched the Jordan Bulls, and obviously they were incredible and one of the great you know runs in in modern pro sports uh, with those six titles. But it's kind of funny because I mean the Buck, uh, the the Bulls last won a title 18 years ago or something like that. So yeah. when you think about kids in their early 20s or younger, those kids they never watched Jordan, right? He was yeah. gone by the time they really started paying attention. And they, you know, some of those, you know, if you're a 25 year old uh, Bulls fan, you maybe barely remember Jordan, and then it's like Eddie Curry and <laughs> Tyson Chandler and <laughs> that's some rough and times. The, and the baby bulls, right? So it's it's a weird sort of thing how I think people in my age range, I'm 35, think of the bulls as sort of this great team. But then a lot of younger fans of the bulls have kind of had a rougher go of it. I think they've had like basically one really, really good team and otherwise basically the the, the Derrick Rose sort of MVP or team. And other than that, it's been uh, kind of disappointing. Yeah, so I don't know. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. Hopefully, uh, the next few years, hopefully the tide turns a bit. With the you know, it'd be nice to see the Bucks kind of surpass the Bulls, and I think there's a good chance for that. But um, we'll see. Anyway, 
not to not to get us too far off track with our with our topic for today. Well, our topic today is a lot of fun. Um, if you listened to us earlier this summer, we did a Lockdown Bucks emergency pod uh, when the Bucks were rumored to sign Jason Terry, and we ended that podcast with me just throwing out random over unders, and Frank and I discussed it and said you know what, I think we could do a whole episode of over-unders and try to have a little bit of fun, and hopefully you'll be able to have some fun in the comments section and as you're listening to it here on Lockdown Bucks. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to throw out some over-unders, and we, we're going to try to base the numbers in the reality of last season, and then obviously you have to project a little bit. So um, we're going to try to have some fun with that today. And are you looking forward to this, Frank? I'm looking forward to this. I think this could be fun. It could also be a complete disaster. <laughs> I hope it isn't a complete disaster. I was going to say as well, shout out to our friends Jeremy Schmidt and the Bucks Ball crew because I know they used to do over-under podcasts um, at the beginning of every season. So, I, And we might be jumping the gun a little bit because obviously we're not – well, we are only about three weeks away from camp opening, but obviously a lot's hopefully – well, I don't know hopefully going to happen, but uh, there could obviously be still some things happening uh, before the season starts in basically what a month and a half so uh maybe we're getting jumping at into it a little bit early but you know what it's it's early september we got to talk about something right so let's let's bring it on i'm i'm really curious if anyone heard me pouring one out for jeremy schmidt in the background because i definitely did here in the studio i was just pouring one out for him um we're right. gonna. We're. I, I'm. My, my goal is we're gonna drag Jeremy on to podcasts <laughs> semi regularly, yes. and uh, and and make sure that he's. We'll we'll try to shame him into watching Bucks basketball if he if he isn't planning to already. I know Jeremy's kind of ramping down and uh, his work at basketball. So uh, hopefully we can we can drag him on and and have some some good podcasts with him. I, I had a lot of fun. We might we may need to repost. Uh, that podcast we had with Jeremy earlier yeah, this summer. So I think fun. it was. I think it was fun, and he's obviously a good friend of ours, and somebody that all of us have uh, have loved reading and and uh, getting to know over the years through through Bucks Twitter. Before we get to our over unders, I want to talk about our wonderful sponsor, SeatGeek. Buying tickets online for sports and concerts has been a confusing process for a long time. It has always been hard to find the best deal for that game or show you want to go to, and none of those older ticket sites want to change that. But SeatGeek is different. They've come along and created an amazing app and website that makes it easier than ever for fans to buy and sell tickets. You may remember last week I was telling you about trying to buy some Cardinals Brewers tickets for my upcoming trip this weekend, and I'm a bit of a procrastinator. I I didn't actually buy them. I just looked at them, and I'm happy I did because now when I go to the SeatGeek app for tickets for that game, they're cheaper. And, and I know that because... I take a look at the way they grade the seats, and SeatGeek wants to help you get the most bang for your bucks, so every ticket is given a grade based on value, and you can see the underpriced tickets. So now I can see dark green in all the spots that I want to buy tickets, and I mean, I'm paying half as much as I would have since I procrastinated, so I guess it worked out this time, but you can always tell whether or not you're actually getting a good deal, and everything about SeatGeek is designed to make life easier for sports and music fans, and they do all the price comparisons for you by searching multiple ticket sites and ensuring that you get the best possible deal. SeatGeek does all the work, and you save all the time and all the money. Best of all, our listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate on tickets, download the SeatGeek app. It's easy. It's very simple to use. Uh, So go to the settings tab and click add a promo code. For us, it's 
L-O-B-U-C-K-S. Again, Locked On Bucks promo code is L-O-B-U-C-K-S. That's L-O-Bucks. And SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code L-O-Bucks today. Let's get into some over-unders. You ready to go, Frank? You've got the list. Why don't you kick it off? All right. Our first one has to do with dunks. And recently, I made fun of you for sitting at an airport, I can't remember which airport, and watching videos of Giannis and Jabari dunk, every like the highlight videos of every dunk they had that season, and counting left hand, right hand, two hand. I think you, you categorized <laughs> them all that yes. way. Yes. Um, well, so here was my method. So uh, fortunately, there are people with even more time on their hands than, than me who uh, go and find the video of every Giannis and Jabari dunk. We can post this in the, in the thing. There, I mean, I think hardcore Bucks fans know some of these different uh, YouTubers who put together these these uh, uh, these compilations. Uh, Dawkins is one. He yep. just like after every game, like that, you know, every Bucks game, if Jabari or Giannis has a good game, they just you know he'll just like make like a a. Uh, um, uh, a compilation video, and then there's Down to Buck as well, yep. who's like I think somebody who is a Bucks fan, I guess, uh, and they both do a lot of compilations. I think it was Dawkins, I want to say, that did the Jabari and Giannis dunk compilations. See, I was um, going to say it was Down to Buck. I'm not 100 percent sure though. Okay, it could have been. It could have been. Yeah. And so then basically, I was on a I was on the airport, and then I got on a plane, and I was waiting for my plane to take off, and I just watched the complete dunk compilation videos for both Jabari and Giannis and then all I did was I was watching them and I knew how many total dunks they had and I just counted the number of lefty and righty dunks and then I just subtracted out because most of their dunks are two-handed so my my methodology was count the lefties, count the righties, and then uh, the remainder are two handed. And uh, I didn't uh, I didn't do anything. I didn't I I was tempted to look at how many off one foot versus two feet because I think that's kind of interesting too. If you're really going to nerd out over dunk technique and things like that, but um, I think the most interesting thing was that Giannis had almost as many left handed dunks as right handed dunks, which is pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, so it was 141 dunks for Giannis, 129 dunks for Jabari. I think they were like fifth and sixth overall or something, sixth and seventh, fifth and sixth, something like that in the entire league in total dunks. Uh, and I think they were both the, the only guys who basically were, you know, not centers or, you know, big guys basically that were in that, that were that high, which is pretty cool. Yes. So with that, 141 for Giannis, that's in. 2,800 NBA minutes, which is a pretty high total and probably a, not not the max because Jason Kidd could play him the whole game, um, but it's it's a pretty good number. Jabari, 2,400 minutes played, which I think might surprise some people that he played that much. So 129 for him in 2,400 minutes. So, Frank, I put the number at 300 dunks. So if you're going to prorate another 400 minutes for Jabari, you're probably going to be right around that 300 dunk range. So over under this season, 300 dunks from Giannis and Jabari combined. That's a really good number. See, you know it's a good over under pick because when you're torn on whether or not you should go over under, that's a good sign. So I think the first thing you'd start with and say, you know, knock on wood, both guys are healthy all season and play big minutes. You know, 2,800 is what Giannis played last year. 
they could certainly play more minutes than that, obviously, if, if you know, Kidd is going to play both of them 37 minutes per game or something like that for a full season. You know, Giannis played 35 minutes in, in 80 games, and that works out to right around uh, 2,800. So that, I think that's probably a, a reasonable guess. And if you look at that and say, okay, Jabari plays another 400 minutes, and he gets a dunk every 18 to 20 minutes, that means you'd add another 20 dunks to that total and you get to like 290 or whatever it is. So I think 300 is probably a pretty good number. And I think the big question, before I answer, I'll, I'll, I'll just sort of lob the grenade back at you, uh, which is not fair, but I'll do it anyway. Okay. Um, so a lot of this comes down to, obviously there's one sort of just the, you know, are they continuing to improve and getting you know, better, stronger, more athletic, uh, which are things that can happen. I think we've seen it with those guys uh, as young players. Uh, you would certainly not look at them and say, okay, they're, they're not going to be, you know, they're going to get less able to dunk next season. If anything, they might get a little more able to dunk, um, especially if Jabari is maybe a little trimmer, which it looks like he is, and maybe a little bit more explosive. Um, but so on the one hand, you might say, okay, well, Jabari's going to play more minutes and knock on wood, they'll be healthy. And they're going to be certainly as much or more focal points of the offense compared to a year ago. Um, so that would certainly say, well, they're going to get more dunks. But I guess the flip side could be if they're focal points, of the offense, that might also mean that maybe they're taking different shots. Maybe they're taking more threes. Maybe they're taking more jump shots. Maybe they're doing things um, as focal points that would actually lead them to dunk less. And obviously, uh, you know, other great players, you know, Kevin Durant, LeBron James, those guys dunked less last year than Jabari and Giannis. And, you know, you'd say those guys are obviously higher usage players than they are. So I think there are a couple different things and which might say, you know, maybe you dunk more, maybe you dunk less. Um, I'll guess slightly under maybe, but I think if they're healthy, they're going to be right around that number. Um, but I think the bottom line is that, you know, if you're a focal point, you're not necessarily just going to be getting the ball and just being able to dunk all the time. So I'll say maybe less, but I don't know. I'll, I'll throw it back to you. What do you What do you think? I'm going to take the under. I feel pretty good about the under, mainly because though I think Giannis's usage is going to go up, which go up, which is going to be a great thing for the Bucks and for his development and for kind of the style of basketball they're going to play, and just for my pure entertainment, that's going to be a good thing that Giannis has the ball more. I think baseline Bari though I love the nickname might not be as prevalent this season just because if you're if you're really trying to get Jabari into a new role doing new things becoming more of a secondary playmaker the baseline really isn't the place for that Uh, I I think you're going to hopefully see Jabari do more from the elbows you're going to see him do more from the wing you're going to see him hopefully in some pick and rolls I know last year when Plumlee really started to have a when he started to surge it was a lot of the times he was getting started on those like four or five elbow pick and rolls with him and Jabari where Jabari would just catch the ball in the elbow quick tight screen and he would take a dribble and then just throw it somewhere near the rim and Miles Plumlee would dunk it um so I think you're going to see more of that from Jabari this season and since he he is such a prolific dunker obviously Giannis is as well I don't know if Giannis's numbers change a a whole lot I think he's still gonna get to the rim and I don't really know how you stop him from getting to the rim because like you've said many times he's he's just so long that he'll take a dribble a couple steps and all of a sudden he's underneath the rim like and it's just like oh I'll just 
reach up and dunk. I don't think his numbers change a lot. I think it'll be Jabari's. I think Jabari's goes down, or at least the rate at which he dunks goes down a little bit. And I'm going to take the under for 300 dunks. And the one thing I would throw out is playing at a faster pace, being able to fast break more effectively. That would obviously be something that helps them dunk more. And yeah. so I was actually just looking at, um, I was able to find, so we, we don't have good splits on dunks, <laughs> um, but uh, basketball reference does have dunks by you know everybody on the roster on their main page. And I just went to the archive.org page. And so I went back in time to February 5th, Okay, this was, I guess, 51 games into the Bucs season. So basically, they had 31 games left in the season. And at that point, Giannis was at 81 dunks. So that means that in his last 31 games, he had basically two dunks per game. He had 60 dunks in his last 31 games. And Jabari was at 65 dunks. And so that means he had 64 dunks in his last 31 <laughs> games. So basically, over their last 31 games they combined for 124 dunks, which is four per game. And if they did four per game, obviously, like 80 to 82 games, you'd be well over 300, yeah, you'd be around 320. So it's a really interesting thing. I would love nothing more than for them to get the over. But um, I don't know. Maybe maybe we're both being a little bit pessimistic that they're going to become more sort of normal all-around type <laughs> scorers rather than just guys who are just going insane dunking the ball. But I don't know. Maybe the numbers at the end of last year. I mean, we, we'd love to see those carry over, so, so we'll see. All right. Let's, uh, let's shift gears a little bit from dunks to three-pointers, and more specifically for Chris Middleton. Last season, he was at 4.6 three-point attempts per game, and a thing we talked about with Brett Cormenis on our last podcast, and I talked about last summer, and we talked about during the year, and everyone who's ever watched the Bucks play has talked about is the fact that Chris Middleton has been turned into a bit of a playmaker and it would probably be best if the guy that shoots close to 40% or over 40% from the three point line would stay behind the three point line and shoot a lot more threes. So last season, he actually, he improved last season though. It's still only uh, 4.6 for Middleton. He shot more than he did last year, which is a good thing. Uh, Or I should say the year before the year before, 2014-15, 4.1 three-point attempts for Chris. The year before that, 4.2. And then in his rookie year in Detroit, 3.4. But 4.6 for Middleton last year. I want a bump of one. So I'm going to put that over under at 5.5 three-point attempts per game for Chris Middleton at the end of the season, Frank. I will take the over. And maybe this is me being wishful in September rather than realistic in the season, <laughs> but uh, I think the fact that if you look at those num- those numbers per 36, he went from 4.1 threes per 36 in the 2014-15 season to 4.9 threes per 36 uh, last year, and obviously you'd expect him to be playing right around 36 minutes per game, maybe a little bit less, who, who knows, maybe, maybe Jason Kidd kind of says, screw it, you're young, I'm just going to play you a ton. Um, but I think getting up uh, over five, maybe getting closer to six, I think that's something that's certainly very possible. I think if you look at the other great three-point shooters out there, uh, that is you know, not a, a crazy number to see from, from other players of that uh, ability. So I, I think it's something that the Bucks, you know, Jason Kidd, and, and you know this because you've sat through many of his press conferences where he <laughs> alludes to like, oh, yeah, we should shoot more threes, right? Um, I think that'll become probably more of a point of emphasis. I think making Chris more of a secondary 
ball handler rather than having the offense run through him as much as it did maybe January uh, December January time frame of last year I think that'll maybe open him up for more threes because I think uh, that, that, that was one of the surprising things when he had that really strong string of games where he was averaging like 25 and 5 for like 20 or 25 games yeah. in a row he had a lot of games where he didn't he didn't you know, make a three and a couple of games where he shot like only one or two threes in an entire game. And you can kind of understand it when the ball's in his hands. I mean, it pretty much means he's got to pull up off the dribble for a three, which is obviously more difficult. So I think taking the ball out of his hands, putting it in Giannis's hands just makes a lot of sense, not just to get Giannis involved as a playmaker, but also to get Chris uh, into a more kind of obvious role as a spacer, which, which obviously he's great at in terms of being a catch and shoot guy. So I'll take the over, and I don't know. Am I being just optim- too optimistic, or do you think that's a number that we're going to see happen? Oh, it's tough because I want to be optimistic. And on the last one, I answered, well, it's going to be under on dunks because Jabari's going to do more playmaking. And I just, uh, I'm going to take the under. It's, it's just tough. Uh, the way that, I guess, how often Kid leans on Middleton. And there's, I mean, you look at late game, like they're going to Middleton down the stretch. And again, that's fine. He's a good shooter and it's, it, he's a strong scoring threat, but they just lean on him so much. And it, it just seems like when, when you talk to Jason Kidd, I know during exit interviews, I asked something about at the start of the season, Chris said, hey, I'm like the fourth option this year. Like, I'm not going to get the ball a lot and and joked about that on media day last season. Not, not having to force shots, right? That yeah, was sort of his joke. Was, was, oh, this is, this is going to be nice. I'm not going to have to force as many shots. And a lot of us were like, oh, okay. Uh, and then, that I don't know. Great. I, feel like, I feel like there was still a lot of shot forcing, especially if you look at some of his clutch stats. Yeah, exactly. So you hear one thing from Middleton that he he's fine being a complimentary piece and almost wants to be a complimentary piece. And then... You look at the games in in November and December, there was all those post-ups for Middleton and so much of the offense went through him. And then you get to the end of December and January, and now all of a sudden he's in pick and rolls. And at the end of the season, when you at, I asked Jason Kidd about, okay, well, is he now going to fill more of a complimentary role? And he said, well, you see a guy as talented as Chris that did as much as Chris did this year. It's kind of hard to try to take shots away from him and just stick him in the corner. And that was a disheartening answer. Um, and not that I necessarily just want to stick Chris Middleton in the corner, though. I think that's a good strategy. I would like to see him more like Clay Thompson, run him off a bunch of screens. Think of Rip Hamilton back in the day, running around screens, Reggie Miller, and you can create offense by still leveraging Chris's shooting. And it just doesn't seem like the bucks are all that interested in getting that creative and doing it. Um, so I'm going to take the under and it makes me sad because really with his, with as well as he shoots the three, it should be considerably more. Like I should feel comfortable saying over six or somewhere somewhere up there. You look at some of those numbers the Golden State guys put up, and obviously they're they're kind of in a league of their own. But even some of the other top three point shooters in the league, that that five over five and a half is easy for all of them. And I just kind of hope and wish there's a day where we get to that point with Chris Middleton. Yeah, and to put some some perspective on it, so if you average five and a half threes per game, let's say 80 games, uh, you'd be at 440 attempts on a season. And last season, there were 18 guys that shot more than 443s on the season. Ironically, Mirza Toledovic 
shot 460, right? So it's, uh, it, it, you know, maybe we should be telling Chris, watch some, some Mirza tape and see kind of how he does it. Um, but a lot of names on there that, uh, you know, you'd look at and you say, man, Chris Middleton should be able to shoot more threes than those guys. I mean, Kevin Love shot 439, so he's right at that five and a half shot uh, threes per, per game mark. Rodney Hood shot almost 450. Um, Isaiah Thomas, you know, a guy who was a primary ball handler, still shot 465 at 36%. Kobe Bryant shot 467 at 29%. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know if you want him watching the Kobe footage. But, um, but a lot of guys, even guys who maybe aren't in kind of really dominant roles, CJ McCollum uh, certainly was a big scorer last year. Robert Covington, more of a role player. Isaiah Cannon, less, more of a role player, 485. Kevin Durant, 4, 482. Um, but a lot of guys who are, are not kind of primary scorers, maybe more off-the-ball type guys, you know, or Trevor Ariza, J.R. Smith, Wes Matthews, guys who are obviously more in those sort of second, third, maybe even fourth uh, option roles on, on good teams. And you know, to give you a, a sense of kind of the upper limits, I mean, Steph Curry had 230 more attempts than James Harden, who was second. Uh, in the league, so it was <laughs> 886 for 657, so I guess 229 more threes. Um, so yeah, so yeah, I don't expect them to get into Seth Curry range, but uh, or even Clay Thompson. Thompson was third with 650. Um, but hey, if you can get into that 450 range, something like that, I mean, I think yeah. I think that would be a positive thing. And um, I think even if he did that, if he shot you know 38 percent rather than 40 percent, which is a number he's been right around the last three seasons. Uh, I think that's a trade you would take because getting obviously a, a higher volume um, would be a positive. I think it would would definitely kind of. I mean, teams obviously know that Chris can shoot threes. They game plan uh, around knowing that that he's able to shoot threes. But if you can put him in a position where he gets to take more of those, and I know you're sensitive to that because you wrote probably a couple thousand words and <laughs> or three posts on that topic last summer. I have. After- May have to revive that. Uh, we may link to it in this post. Uh, but uh, but yeah, that, that's certainly a, a topic that uh, we'll probably be talking about all season is is Chris Middleton's three point shooting, and hopefully uh, the percentage remains somewhat comparable to where it's been, which has been great. Uh, and he just managed to up that that attempt number uh, a, a bit more from where it was. But he's at least on the right track. Yeah, and really, even if the percentage slips a little bit, if I'm getting some more threes, I'm probably happy about it in in the aggregate. Like, obviously, you want to con- you want to see him continue to shoot at a high percentage, but if if it slips a little bit and he's shooting another three per game, like I'm probably happy overall, just just for the spacing and just for me to see some more threes shot. Like that, it would just make me happy. Um, Let's let's move on to our next one. This one is interesting, and I don't know how happy it will make anyone. Um, our next one, Greg Monroe. We've talked about him, obviously, throughout the offseason, how he, he should be traded and how he's still on the team. And if he's on the roster, what does it look like? And we took a look at Greg Monroe's minutes per game and uh, how many he's had last year, how many he had the year before. And we we took a look and found that the least amount of minutes played per game he's had in his career came in his rookie year, and it was at 27.8 minutes per game in his rookie season. And we decided, you know what, that's probably that's probably a good number for an over-under. And uh, even last year with the Bucks, 29.3, obviously he had – quite a few minutes before the all-star break. Um, but again, with Greg Monroe, you're kind of in a tough spot. You you have, you sign him for all this money. You do 
kind of have to keep him happy or at least somewhat satisfied. So I think 27.8 is a good number. Do you take the over or under 27.8 minutes per game for Greg Monroe next season? The tough thing about this question is that we can, I think most people would agree on whether we would want it to be over under from sort of a tactical roster management perspective. I think, yes, I think, I think certainly the two of us, I think most people that we talked to would say that it would be best from a role standpoint if Greg Monroe played fewer minutes than that. Uh, and, and I think from there, people might disagree whether it should be 20 minutes, whether it should be 25 minutes. Maybe some people even want him playing fewer than 20 minutes per game. I think the hard part and the part that makes this a really interesting one from an over-under perspective is sort of the, the, the locker room and... Uh, external politics angle to all this and mm-hmm. I think it's difficult to keep a guy like Greg Monroe I mean you know we saw it I mean look at Serge Ibaka great you know shot blocker a vastly better defender than Greg Monroe I mean look at how people viewed Serge Ibaka and would say well you know you couldn't get him playing up to his potential defensively when he wasn't getting his touches offensively and you know people have always said sort of similar things about Dwight Howard and oh you got to give him the ball in order to get defense out of him and with Greg Monroe I think you know it's maybe not the exact analog obviously he's not as talented as those guys but that sort of underscores the challenge you know if you think that Greg Monroe can just kind of come off the bench, play 20 minutes. He'll obviously, if he did that, be more of a focal point when he is on the court. Um, but is he going to be in a good headspace, potentially going into a contract year, if he's not playing you know, starter-type minutes? And I think that's where the risk really is. And I think he, as much as he's not a bad guy in a general sense, I don't think he's going to be a happy guy in that locker room if he's playing under 27.8 minutes per game. I think... If you want him playing in that role, then I think the Bucks should be much more open to trading him for basically nothing. If if you can, basically a deal where you're just taking back sort of expiring deals, like you know, I think we've talked about the Pelicans maybe shipping you know just the injured Tyreek Evans expiring deal and Alexis Ajinsa, who's not expiring but isn't totally overpaid. Um, I think if you're you know on the one hand, I think you'd say I'd like to see him playing fewer than 27.8 minutes, but I'd say I also think if that happens he's less likely to even be around. So I might say on a technicality, I think you might argue it might be there or higher, but then he might not be around much longer. So I, I don't know. I, maybe I'll say I'll, I'll be diplomatic and say he'll play a little bit under that number and that if he even lasts to the regular season, he'll probably be moved by certainly by the deadline because I don't think he's going to be happy getting that, that type of minutes. After the All-Star break last year, Monroe played... 27 minutes per game and he was i'm not gonna say a hap a happy camper a content camper maybe um or a disgruntled and quiet camper uh i, I wouldn't necessarily i wouldn't say he was happy in that role but he he did seem to take it and there was never a night where we walked into the locker room and it was all right greg's gonna blow up tonight because he, he's mad about his role that never happened but like you said, if he's at 27 again at the start of this season, if he's still on the roster, obviously, but if he starts the season with the Bucks and is only playing 27 minutes per game and coming off the bench, oh, that, that might not end well. So I'm going to take the over for the time that he's on the Bucks, and maybe after he gets traded, the other team says, look, you're going to play this role, and that's going to be that, and 
that's all we need because we're a playoff team or maybe he'll get traded to a team that's not a playoff team and he can play as much as his little heart desires so I'm gonna say over while he's on the Bucks just because I just don't know how you manage that locker room with him only playing 27 minutes per game or I guess less than that 27.8 number that I threw out like it's just too hard to manage and we talked about it last week where we mentioned mcw and monroe both in contract years it's tough to try to convince a guy not to have a big role before he's about to get paid and i mean it makes logical sense for the guy that's trying to get paid and for the team you're hoping for the best but you got to do what's best for your team and if that includes not playing that kind of contract year well there's gonna be problems yeah, and you're not playing Andre Drummond ahead of Greg Monroe in Milwaukee, right? You're playing Miles Plumley and John Henson potentially ahead of him. And, you know, realistically, guys, uh, guys don't appreciate the nuance of, well, the guy fits better so much when, you know, he can look at him and say, I'm better than that dude. You know, I get paid more than that dude, and I'm playing behind that guy. I don't, you know, it's difficult. So, uh, so I think the one, the one variable which could possibly reconcile all these sort of different pressures that you would say would would make you want to see Greg Greg Monroe play fewer minutes would be winning right and I think if Greg Monroe was on the Golden State Warriors I think he would be much more willing to play 20 minutes per game versus being on the Milwaukee Bucks coming off 33 win season and feeling like man I was supposed to be the star here and this was going to be the first time I ever go to the playoffs and then we have this really disappointing season so if the Bucks were able to get off to a really fast start, regardless of what role Greg was in, maybe that's the scenario where you could see him tolerating being a bench guy, especially if he was playing a really important role as a bench guy. But I think it's tough. I mean, we've seen you know different scenarios, whether it was David Lee when he got displaced by Draymond Green a couple years back. Um, eventually, you know, guys guys leave, right? Guys who are uh, especially Monroe, who's obviously younger than Lee was, guys who are sort of in their prime, uh, who think that they can play big minutes, uh, they eventually try to find that. And and oftentimes, obviously, it's not in the place where uh, where they at least signed thinking that they could be the guy. So, um, again, very interesting to see what happens over the next month. Maybe we'll see that Greg Monroe trade before we even get to the regular season. But certainly that'll be um, potentially the most awkward subplot of the regular season. I think I'm going to call it right there for our first episode of Over-Unders, Frank. Um, I didn't think we were going to get two episodes out of this, but I got to stop us there. And we got a couple more left, and let's let's hit those in another one. And today's Lockdown Bucks is brought to you by SeatGeek. Download the mobile app for the easiest way to buy tickets, and the promo code LOBUCKS, again, that's L-O-B-U-C-K-S, gets you a $20 rebate on your first purchase. That was our first episode of Over-Unders. We'll have a second one for you. Thanks for listening to Lockdown Bucks, brought to you by BrewHoop.com.